Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. In our episode today, Senior Pastor Heath Bauer is continuing through a series that is so relevant to our time. The series is called Families by the Book. In this series, we started looking at what God's Word sets in place for marriage and what that looks like. We have turned the page now and we are looking at what biblical parenting looks like in the home. Last week, Heath introduced the three parenting priorities, TLC, that is time, love, and correction. We looked at time in our last gathering, and if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. In today's talk, we look at the second priority, love. The title for today's talk is TLC, love. If you're in the Ashland or Tri-State area, we would love to see you. Stick around until the end and find out how you can connect with us here at Unity Baptist Church. All right, we're on part three of our parenting series that we began just a few weeks back. Hope you've enjoyed it thus far. We've been talking about families by the book. Again, that implies that there is a book, a standard to which we compare our families. And so this is why we don't all get, you know, riddled with guilt every time we talk about the home. We don't respond in either despair or denial. Oh, I don't need that or that's your opinion. We also don't respond with, God help me, I'm the worst parent in the world. Okay, let's all just admit and let's just get it out of the way that we've all made mistakes as parenting. There's no flawless parents here. Uh, Even when there is a flawless parent, God, his children didn't turn out too good. So let's just get all that out of the way and let's focus on what God has to say here. We introduced the idea of TLC, not tender loving care, but time, love, and correction. The three parenting priorities that when you kind of distill all that God says on parenting, a lot of what we do, it, it falls into these three categories. Last week, we talked about time. We talked about quality time, how God defines that as not just having fun with our kids, but that we're passing on biblical values and virtues in the gospel to our children. We talked about quantity time, that the greater amount of time that we spend with our kids, that is a resource, if you will, that causes us to have greater voice and influence in their heart and lives. We also talked about protecting their time, that we don't just give our children uh, unrestricted access to the world at young ages, that we don't give them unrestricted internet, unrestricted TV and books, that as parents, we guard their hearts until at which point they are old and mature enough to guard it for themselves, that we're conscientious as parents. Today, we're gonna talk about the L in TLC, and that is love. Our kids need to know that we love them. So for that, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. I know some of you astute ones who have been here for a few weeks, you're like, hang on. Did we not just preach 1 Corinthians 13 several weeks back with the uh, marriage series? And you're right, we did. Is Heath just getting lazy with his sermons? No, this is a completely different sermon. This underscores the beauty of the Bible, friends, that we can read the exact same passage, but that because we're having a different focus, a different circumstance, the meaning doesn't change, but our application is radically different. It's why you can read the Bible your entire life, and you could live 10 lifetimes and still never plumb the depths of this infinite, eternal Word of God. So 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to look at how to love our children. The first thing we're going to look at is that nothing can replace love. There's nothing we can do in our children's lives that can replace it. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3 talks about the importance of love. He says, if I speak with the tongue of men and angels, you know, I'm a highly skilled, talented person, but I have not love. He says, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, I understand all mysteries and knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains. But if I don't have love, I, I, I says, I, I am nothing. He says, if I give away all I have and deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So without love, Paul says, we are a noisy gong. And don't worry, I didn't bring the baseball bat and clanging sounds this morning. Uh, a noisy gong, remember, it was just, it was just a noise. And without love, when we speak to our children, a lot of times that's what we sound like to our kids. They don't hear what we have to say because as, as it's often been said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's no more true than with our children. Without love, we're just a sound effect to them and they don't hear things. We're, if you will, we're Charlie Brown's parents, is with me. 
You ever watch Charlie Brown? I mean, I grew up with it. Charlie Brown Christmas, it was sort of the trumpet blast that called and heralded in the Christmas season. You know, as its opening song went, Christmas time is here. And so as a child, I love Charlie Brown because it means we're in full swing into the Christmas season. But the interesting thing about Charlie Brown, you watch him and his buddies, they're doing all this stuff on their own and you never really see an adult presence there, do you? I mean, these kids are making full-blown Thanksgiving dinners, playing with fire, and doing whatever else they do as kids. And mom and dad aren't really there. How are they represented in the kid's world? You know, they're just a sound effect. You know, a kid walks in the house. What's that, mom? You know, and they're just this funny. Now, why did Charles Schultz, and by the way, that was just a trombone with a mute, is what he did there. Why did Charles Schultz represent parents with just a wah, 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 wah sound? Uh, It was intentional, by the way. First of all, Charles Schultz said he didn't have that much interest in writing parental dialogue. He found much more children to be much more interesting. But secondly, it pictured a child's perspective and their worldview. Here you got these kids, and they're out doing all this stuff on their own, and consequently, the parents have a very limited, muted voice in the children's lives. And so the children, often they hear what they want to hear. What's that, mom? I can skip school today. And so they're talking to their parents, and it's just muted. And a lot of times with parents, if we don't demonstrate love to our children, our children aren't fully aware that we are loving them, our voice is muted in their hearts and lives. We're Charlie Brown's parents. We're a trombone with a mute in it. Uh, he says also, if I have prophetic powers and I have all faith, in other words, you can be the most spiritual person or apparently in this church, you can be highly active, you can play instruments, you can serve as a deacon or a Sunday school teacher, a ministry leader. He says, no matter how fanatically busy you are at church, if we go home and do not have love, he says, I am nothing. That our children are going to see through that spiritual facade that we're very spiritual and we talk about loving God and loving others at church, but at home somehow it doesn't translate into how you treat me. And our children will see that hypocrisy and not only will they resent us for it, they're going to resent our God. Thirdly, he he goes on to say, uh, if I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, in other words, I sacrifice all that I have for the kids, don't you appreciate all that I've done for you? Do you realize I didn't have half of the stuff that you had? What does that imply? That to raise good children, we need to give them lots of good things. That didn't work for Israel. God led them into a, a place where they had houses they didn't build and fields they didn't plant. But what they do? They forgot the Lord their God. Joshua led to judges. And so giving our children isn't necessarily uh, just all the stuff that we didn't have. Our kids would, by the way, they may not verbalize this, but they would much rather have our time than our treasure. They'd much rather have our presence and to know that you love them than to just be able to know that every year we got a Disney vacation coming up and I'm gonna have tons of presents under the Christmas tree. Without love, we're, we're not gaining anything. Well, the rest of this message is really going to be an explanation of then, if love is that important, how do we do it? How do we love our children? For that, we're going to look at the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. So again, before we start that, just a quick reminder, love is not how we feel about our kids. It's not nostalgia. It's not a warm feeling that we have about our kids. It's not a desire to be around our children. It's not even that we like them. Love, remember we talked about before, love is a verb. Love is how we treat our children. And so every time we tell our children, you know mommy and daddy loves you, it's a commitment to treat them in a certain way. Even if we don't feel a certain way, it's a commitment to treat them that way. And the first thing we do is that A, love is patient. If you remember from the last message, it's that word that means much pain. It means as a parent, we're long fused with our children, that it takes a lot to anger us. It takes a lot to, before we get impatient and we lose our cool with our children or to yell at them or something. It, long fused is translated by children as love and impatience, when we're easily offended, easily angered, we flash in anger toward our children. It's always received as a lack of love. How how do you feel about being around impatient people? I mean, do you really, I mean, you're, you're sitting there at the traffic light here and the light turns green and you didn't notice it immediately and stomp on the accelerator and somebody behind you gives you the long honk. Cindy knows what I'm talking about. It gives you the long honk. And how do you feel about that guy? Are you praying God's blessing? Merry Christmas to you, brother? Are you waving at them? You're not, you're, you don't like that fellow. They're, you wanna be away from them. 
Or if you've ever had a boss, you've taken a job and you've got a boss who's impatient with you and they're easily upset, easily angered, even though you're a trainee, you know, and they're just upset that you're not immediately getting it right. Do you enjoy that boss? You go home and you tell your, you know, your mate, you know, I think I'm gonna work on my resume. I can't go back and work under that person. We don't like to be around impatient people. What about with our children? How important, how important is being patient with our kids? Think back to your own childhood growing up, your parents. And by the way, no parent has ever done this flawlessly, right? But can you remember a time when your parents got impatient with you? Where they maybe flashed in anger, they got angry, they shouted at you, they got, you know, maybe they threw something in anger or, or, or it could be worse. Do you remember those times? You know, you might be 65 years old, but you can probably say, re repeat what they said to you in living color. You can relive that moment, can't you? and you can still feel that twinge of pain. That parent may be long gone, and you still remember the impatience that's there. There are times that, you know, we'll go back and we'll try to rehearse some of these things with our parents. I mean, I remember talking, even my dad, about some times of impatience that I experienced in my childhood. I remember talking to him about it, and uh, he had no idea that it even happened. He didn't even remember, which just underscores to us that we may flash an anger at our children. We may get easily upset or offended or hurt and angry with our kids, and we may long forget it, just like it was a passing thing to us, but our children may remember this story for the rest of their lives. And impatience is always received as a lack of love. We cannot be impatient and loving our children at the same time. B, love is kind. It's a word that means to care for their needs, both physical, emotional, uh, even spiritual needs. It means that we care for their needs. And kindness begins with one word. It begins with attentiveness. It means we know, we're aware of what our children are needing. We're aware of what they're going through. Proverbs chapter 27, 23 says, know well the condition of your flocks. And it says, give attention to your herd. So you'd have these animals that you care about because it's your livelihood. And if you're going to be kind to your animals, you're aware of what they need. I mean, you're aware of what your dog needs. You know, your dog is at home and you're aware when they're hungry. There's certain things that they'll do when they know they need to go outside. Maybe they scratch the door. Uh, you know when they want a special treat. Every time you open a Doritos bag, you know, the dog is right there. You, you know what they need, and so and quite often you're attentive to it. Some of you guys even have wrapped Christmas gifts under the tree for your animal, don't you? We know how to be kind to our little furry friends, but how much more important is that with our children? That we are attentive to their needs. We know what they're struggling with. We know what excites them. We know what their needs are, and we're seeking to actively meet those needs with our kids. One of the best parenting tools I was ever recommended when I was an early parent was that we reintroduce this old-fashioned concept of tuck-in times. You ever, your parents ever tuck you into bed? I never understood the concept, like how hard is it to pull up my blankets? I mean, it's not real hard, but the, the purpose behind tucking your kid into bed isn't just to make sure that Junior got into bed, which that's some of y'all's concern. Uh, where's that kid doing? And you know, is he playing with knives and lighters? But for the rest of us, we tuck them in, not because they can't pull the blankets up on their own, but because we want to show them love and attention. What we would do is, there were two of us and we had three kids. So one kid got to read a book that night and the other two kids, mom would go to one, I'd go to the other, and we would sit on the edge of their bed after they brushed their teeth and we would just ask them questions about their day. Hey, what's something great that happened? You know, their highs and lows. What, what's something great that happened today? What are you happy about? What excited you today? Just find out what excites their heart. What are you looking forward to? What are you looking forward to about Christmas, a vacation? What are you looking forward to about school? What do you want to be when you grow up? Just future things, fun things that excite them. And you ask tunneling questions. Tell me more about it. Why is that interesting to you? Why do you like this? Why did it make you feel good? And, and we just, we tunnel into their hearts to find out what excites them. And we also ask them about their lows. Well, what, you know, is there something this, today or this week that has, it's been on your heart and it's burdening you? And we allow our child just to speak freely and openly with us and we tunnel in, why did that make you feel so bad? What do you think you should have done or what do you think should have happened? And they say, you know what, can I pray for you about that? Can you imagine, parents, what that does for your child to know that you heard them fully? You, you, you loved them enough to tunnel in deeper into that hurt and then said, you know what, can I pray to the Lord. And then we pray right there and then with them, right next to their bed, and we just pray for them. And we pray for that need. And our child hears us taking their deepest concern and taking it to the Lord. And I don't care if it's something simple like, you know, my pet beetle that I found yesterday, you know, I stepped on him and he died. And you're like, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal to him. 
And to hear our child, or for our child to hear us praying for them and for that need, it's always translated as, you care about me and you love me. So, we, uh, love is kind. But see, love does not envy it or boast and is not arrogant. Is it possible to envy our children, to be jealous of them? You think, how could that possibly? What would I be envious about with our kids? I've seen it before, though. Sometimes, especially as our kids get older and they start developing and we see that our children maybe had things we didn't have and we're envious even of the childhood that we're providing them. You don't know how good you got it. You know, we're envious and we can treat them differently because of it. Or we see our child, maybe they're smarter than we were in school. Maybe they're better at athletics or maybe you were really unpopular. You were picked on at school, but your child is the popular kid at school. And as parents, sometimes we can view our children differently because we're envious of who they are, what they're becoming, what their opportunities are, and it treats, we can treat them differently. Or we can be arrogant, which means puffed up, that we can use children to try to feed our own ego, and we try to extract things from our children to make ourselves emotionally healthy and sound. So love doesn't do these things because when, we're, when we are envying, boasting, or arrogance, we're using our kids to feed our own ego, that's not love, it's, it's self-centered. I'm using my children to do something for me. D, love is not rude, that we don't speak or act in ways uh, where we don't consider how it's gonna land on somebody else. We say words, but we don't think, hey, when I say this, how is little junior gonna feel about that? Or when I do this, how is little junior gonna feel about when I do this? When I throw this chair, to me it was just in the way and I'm kinda of mad, but how are they gonna receive that? Their whole world is collapsing down around them. You know, maybe I'll just say something in anger, not thinking about how it's going to affect them because I want something done right now. And by the way, I just had a really bad day. But how is, the, how is my child gonna feel, you know, receive that? Or sometimes parents are just straight up rude, you know? Uh, you know, I had, a, I had a guy who told me once that he would, uh, he, he loved to gas out his children. I mean, the little, little kids would come up and put their head between his legs, and he just thought it was really funny to use his children for his own amusement and pleasure. Or some parents who just scare their children. I don't mean just fun, friendly scaring, but like they love to watch the terror in their children's eyes. We're not contemplating how that affects our children. Love is not rude. When there's rudeness, there's not love present. Or sometimes rude is just we're not considerate of what our child is going through. We're not considerate of their feelings as they are developing. Remember, we're raising up not just obedient children, we're raising them up to be responsible adults. One of the great tools that somebody gave us early in our marriage also was something called the five-minute rule, and it's not unfamiliar, it's pretty common, but just remembering that as our kids get older, to, re to remind ourselves that there's things that they're deeply involved in. Maybe it's a homework, maybe it's a, something as simple as a Lego project, but it's important to them. Instead of just being an authoritarian parent, go to bed right now, because I said so, you know, and just kind of getting in their face and not considering what that child is doing at the moment, to pause and to prepare their heart to walk in obedience and honor and say, hey, hey, in five minutes, Johnny, I'm gonna ask you to pick up your Legos and go to bed, okay. Yes, ma'am, whatever. And it prepares their heart to walk in honor and obedience. But what it, furthermore, it shows that you're polite, you're considerate, you're thinking, how is this going to affect that child when I, when I offer that to go to bed? E, love does not insist on its own way. How does that show up in parenting? Where we're just insistent that, that mom and dad just are, are the standard. And when our kids are little, I get that. Because I told you so is acceptable. The kid needs to learn and understand Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It's what God expects. But as our children get older, our goal is not to keep them as subservient, obedient children. As our children mature and develop, our goal is to create responsible adults. How does that create it? It's by taking the standard that we follow and teaching it to our children. And so we don't just say, because I told you so. We look for a moral reason why. We don't lie. You see, because God's word says we don't lie. It's in one of the Ten Commandments. Let me explain that to you. And we, don't, we explain why we do things. Well, often I would just hear things even as a teenager. Why, why can't I go to movies? Well, because it's what we don't do. It's wrong. Why is it wrong? I would, as a kid, I was begging to know a moral reason why I couldn't go see Karate Kid at the theater. You know, what's wrong with it? And so, but, so we want to know why. And that why that we give them instructs them. It's something God commands us to do. Remember we talked about last week in Deuteronomy 6. You shall diligently teach your children. And so we don't want to be an authoritarian parent where it's just obey me because it pleases me. We want to be authoritative. 
which means you and I are both under the same standard. This word of God that rules your heart and life also rules my heart and life, and I'm trying to teach you how to adopt those values for yourself later in life. We're gonna see here that love F is also not irritable. Irritable just means that we are easily offended. It goes along with impatience. Love is patient. That's the positive. This is the negative. Love is not irritable. We're not easily offended. We're not easily angered. We're not easily upset. When we are easily upset and we're offended, I don't care if it's in the home, in the church, or in society, or with your neighbor. When we just always, people know us just to be someone who just gets angry really easy. We just get, we get offended and we hold grudges. Whenever there is, whenever we're easily offended, easily hurt, easily upset, Love is not present because love is long-suffering. So we cannot be irritable and a loving person at the same time. Aren't you glad God isn't irritable? That every time we sin, God doesn't just immediately judge our sins? I mean, I'm so glad that our God is long-suffering. And that's what our children want to know from us. Again, think back to your own childhood. Can you remember times when your parents were irritable with you? And we've all been there, okay? This is, I'm not preaching from some ivory palace here. I've gotten irritable with my kids. I've gotten upset. I've said things that I regretted. And so, but we have, we have to make sure that we're always wrestling with the standard. I don't want to be an irritable person because when we flash an anger at our children, they remember these things for the rest of their life. I've had some people tell me when we talk about anger, well, that's just who I am. Well, James 1.19 talks about let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And so if every man is capable of it, then God expects it of his children, that every man is capable of being not an irritable person. So we don't get to say, well, I'm just Italian, you know. Uh, I'm a redhead. You know how us redheads get? And we, we use some kind of external characteristic to excuse why I'm an impatient, irritable, irritating person, or we try to blame our circumstances. Well, I've just been having a hard day. We're having a hard day, but when we mature in Christ, what, is it, what do we become? We become more steadfast, which means that whether I'm having a good day or a bad day, I'm still able to respond in a loving and kind way to others, especially our kids. So love is not irritable. Uh, by the way, that's why we don't yell at our children. We, whenever we get to a place, if you're yelling at your kids, they better be an immediate bodily harm. You know, like there's something coming. There's a car coming in the street. It's, it's a proclamation of you're in danger. When we yell at our children, what are we doing? We're manipulating them through volume. We don't want to manipulate our kids. If we have to yell at our kids to get them to do something, it shows we don't have their heart. Their heart is not pointed toward us. Their desire is not to please us at that point. At that point, we're just dominating through fear. Yeah, I'm going to scare you. I'm going to hurt you in a way that you've never, <laughs> you know, if the police knew, they'd put me in jail, okay? And so we just threaten our children. We get mad. We get angry. Bible says love, you know, love is not irritable in this way. So we don't yell. Proverbs 22.15 says there's something that's more effective. With patience. What was patience again? Oh, yeah, long-suffering. With patience, a ruler might be persuaded it means that when we show patience to our children, it actually makes them want to please us and want to follow us because of the devotion and godliness that you show. And furthermore, he says, a soft tongue will break a bone. When we yell at our kids, when the wind blows strong, what do you do? You lean into the wind. You, you, know, you, you push in toward it, and you become stronger and more resilient against it. But rather here, it says a soft tongue will break a bone, that it's, it's more effective when we speak gently with our children, but with authority. Gee, love is not resentful. You ever hold a grudge against a kid? You ever know a parent to hold a grudge against their kids? I know it happens because I've done funerals of parents where the kids won't come to the dad's funeral because they had a falling out 20 years ago and they never reconciled and they're still holding grudges. I'm not just talking about little ones at home. It's not often you have a grudge against a three-year-old. I mean, I hope not. I hope we're not so petty that we have grudges against three-year-olds, but often with our teenage kids or our adult kids, once our kids, especially when they get a little bit older and they start to pass us up in height, they have an adult body. Maybe they're 16, 17, but they're, they still got a child's heart. But when they have that adult body and we look at them and we start having expectations that they're going to treat us in an adult way, and when they say hurtful things to us, it hurts even more, doesn't it? And we can become impatient with them, and we can become resentful to the point where we hold grudges, long-term grudges against our children. The Bible says that's not love. 
Love is not resentful where we just hang on to our hurts and we try to, we either withdraw from them or we emotionally punish them for the rest of their life. I was watching a documentary this week. Uh, Bing Crosby, you know, the, the voice of Christmas. I don't know about you, but when I hear, I don't much want to hear these, the, the new bands and stuff singing. I like to go back, when it comes Christmas time, I like the old stuff. I want to hear Bing and, uh, and his, his voice. But uh, So I was listening to a documentary on Bing Crosby. In 1977, he had an interview with Barbara Walters, and she was just, he sort of was the go-to guy, sort of the poster boy of the old guard and the old generation. So she was just asking him, how are you feeling entering into this new culture that's developing in America in the late 70s? She says, kids are living together now. What do you think of that? And Bing, being a Catholic, he was like, it's wrong. He just came right out and said, it's wrong. We shouldn't be doing that. Kids shouldn't be living together. It's immoral. So Barbara Walters pushed him a little further. She says, suppose your own boy comes up to you and says, hey, dad, I got this girlfriend and we're living together. He says, how would you respond to that? He says, and he explained a little bit, but he said in no uncertain terms. He says, I would never speak to them again, and I've told them that. Our kids need to know that there's no sin that they can commit where we'll never speak to them again. Is that how God treats us? I mean, think about the parable of the prodigal son. He did the most offensive thing he could possibly do. He basically told his dad, I wish you were dead, but I still want the blessing. I still want the inheritance, but give it to me now so that I can leave your presence and enjoy your abundance, enjoy your blessing, but go somewhere else. And he did it, and he was wasteful. He was self-centered, and he comes home, hat in hand, just wanting to be a servant, but what did the father do? Seeing him a far, a far way off, what did the father do? He did the most shameful thing a father can do. He hiked up his dress, that's essentially what it looked like, a robe, and he showed his skinny little white old man legs, and he did a shameful thing for that culture, and he ran to his son. He swallowed his pride, he ran to his son, and then he even restored him, remember? Our children need to know that there's no sin that they can do where, I'm, I don't have to accept your sin. If God calls it sin, it's sin. I don't have to accept that you're living in sin and say, it's okay because it's you. But we can say, you're okay with me because you're my child and I'm always gonna love you. Our child, children need to know that, that that unconditional acceptance is there, and especially when they begin to show repentance over something. Like our father did with us, we restore them. H, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. You're thinking, what parent would ever rejoice in the fact that their kid did wrong? Yeah, my kid's got an illegal underground gambling ring at school. I'm so proud of that child, man. I don't even have to give that kid lunch money anymore. The kid earns it. Most of us aren't rejoicing in that way, but there are ways where we can foster and encourage things that are unhealthy in a child. I've actually seen parents who are boasting in the fact that their child was getting great grades and cheating to do so, but they were happy with it, that their child was doing what it takes to make it somewhere in life. That's rejoicing in wrongdoing. Or maybe they heard, maybe they laugh because they see their child throwing a temper tantrum on the ground, and when they're two years old, it's funny. When they're 15, it's not so funny. But when they're two, we're laughing at it, we're rejoicing, if you will, finding joy in wrongdoing. That, ch that child is acting in a rebellious way. And so there are, or, or sometimes I've even heard parents kind of laugh when their kid recites filthy lyrics to a song or filthy words that they heard, hopefully not from dad, usually not from mom. But you know, I've heard parents kind of rejoice in that. It's kind of funny, they think. And so a parent doesn't rejoice when they see sinfulness or evil in the, in the heart of a child. But rather, our greatest rejoicing is in what, does the word say? Truth. It's like 3 John 4 when John says, I have no greater joy in my heart than to know that my children are walking in truth. There's no greater joy. Nothing surpasses the fact that I know that my children are walking with the Lord, that they know him, that they're walking with him. Parents, let me ask you, do your, do your kids know that? That you have no greater joy, that you have no higher ambition for their life than that they walk with God. Because as a parent, you get what you praise. If you praise ambition, to be student body president, your kids are gonna fight for that. If you praise academics, your kids are gonna fight to get the academics to seek your pleasure. If you praise uh, performance in sports or you praise proficiency out there and ability to make money and go to a high-end school, you get what you praise as a parent. Our children need to hear that there's no greater joy that we have in our life than they walk in truth. If you never cure cancer in your lifetime, but you're walking with God, I'm proud of you. And our kids need to hear that, that we are proud of them. Do you tell your kids that, that you're proud of them? 
That's something my dad was good at. He would often tell me that he's proud of me. And I appreciate it. I tell you what, those, those times of, of difficulty and pain I had as a kid, it's overwhelmed by the fact that my dad consistently would tell me that he was proud of me. And he would tell me, he would give me specific praise. He's proud of the fact that I fill in the blank or the proud of the fact that I did this. Our children, you can tell them just that generally that you're proud of them, but if you really want to drive something deep home into the heart of your child, tell them specifically what you're proud of. And I pray it's the fact that they're walking in truth. Not just, I'm proud of you that you made the winning touchdown. I'm proud of you that you're on the academic top 10% of your class. I'm proud of you. You had a chance to fight today and you walked away. I'm proud of you. You had an opportunity to just pass this guy by, but you know, you shared your lunch with that kid at school who didn't, have, didn't bring his lunch. I'm proud of that. And we praise virtue and godly character. Our kids will remember that for the rest of their life. They need to hear, even as adult kids, do adult children need to hear that their parents are proud of them? I'll tell you what, I still enjoyed hearing that as long as my dad was alive. You know, I still enjoyed calling him up and my dad was always my greatest encourager. I'd call him up and he would tell me that he was proud of me for this or that. And even as an adult, with my own adult children, I still longed for and enjoyed that. Our children long to know that they're in a position where their lives and their actions please us. And so we've got to be careful what we praise because our child's going to fight to do that. The alternative is, of this is not to rejoice in the truth and to keep our children in a pressure cooker of expectations, always dangling the carrot of acceptance in front of them, but never letting them arrive. I've actually had parents tell me that, that you can't ever let your kids know that they've arrived because then they stop trying for your affection or they stop trying to achieve and succeed in life. You know what that's going to do for our child? It's going to do Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Provoke, provoke to wrath is a single Greek word. It's the idea that you're doing some repetitious activity over and over again to the point where it causes our child to give up. And instead of wanting to be like us, instead of wanting to please us, now they're mad at us. And sometimes they want to be the opposite of what we are. And so we don't want to provoke our children to wrath. Some translations will call this, do not exasperate your children. Exasperate, to breathe out. It's a sigh. <sighs> And they just feel like no matter what they do, you will never be pleased with them because they've done all of this good, but you keep harping on this one thing that you want. And they just, they feel like they can never make you happy. And it causes a child ultimately to want to just give up. You know, we can do that through favoritism. Joseph didn't do too well. His family didn't do too well under favoritism, did it? I mean, he ended up, they wanted to kill him first. And eventually they, they satisfied themselves just selling him off to be a slave. Uh, Performance-based acceptance, where we keep dangling the carrot. We never tell our child we're proud of them because there's still something else that needs to be developed in them. Or failure to uphold discipline in a home. David did not discipline. Eli did not discipline. And it led to childhood rebellion. Furthermore, uh, inconsistency, where one day you you were pleased with them, and the next day you weren't. One day you allowed them to do this activity, the next day you're punishing them for the very same thing. That inconsistency is going to drive a child crazy. I think it's interesting that the Bible specifically, he doesn't say mothers do not provoke your children to wrath. You don't often see moms provoking their kids, you know, just trying to see if they can get them angry. For whatever reason, moms just have a little bit more sensitivity of heart. Uh, to do that. So God directs this command specifically to dads not to push their kids so hard to achieve and to perform before you're willing to give them your acceptance and love. I don't know if you ever saw the original Karate Kid series. Um, I did later on, VHS. Couldn't see it in the movies. But uh, later on, I did get to see old Ralph Macchio crane kick Johnny Lawrence in the face. And uh, so, but Karate Kid, what's interesting is, you know, he goes through this, and Johnny Lawrence was the bad guy. And he was the guy who would fight you in the bathroom, he'll beat you up in the street, he'll beat you up in school, he'll sweep the leg if Sensei Kreese tells him to do it. He would do anything blindly to gain the affection of this Sensei, even if it meant to be a bully, because he himself struggled with daddy issues at home. But if you ever got past Karate Kid 1, got to Karate Kid 2, it opens up, how does it open? He's facing down having gotten second place at the All-Valley Tournament, and old Sensei Kreese wasn't going to have it. And he basically tells him, you're nothing. You're a loser. Second place is no place at all. You're off the team. And, and this incenses Johnny. He's like, I've done my best. He actually said, I did my best. 
He told him, basically, you're a loser. Your best isn't good enough. And he takes his trophy and he snaps it in half, throws it into the weeds. And at this point, he has exasperated Johnny. Johnny, who is willing to break the rules at All Valley Tournament to please Crease, he's willing to sweep the leg. But now he's going to fight Crease because he's had it. He's had enough. He's in full-scale rebellion because he's been pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And yet he still does not receive that acceptance that he's looking for from this, at that time, a father figure in his life. And now he's fighting. This is what we're talking about when we talk about provoking our children to wrath, just constantly pushing them so hard to the place where they just give up and they don't try, and now they are filled with resentment toward us for that. I love bears all things. It means we cover offenses with love. Okay, we don't cover sin and pretend sin doesn't exist, but when our kid has wronged us and we've, you know, we've made it right and we, we put it behind us, we, we keep it covered, we don't keep revealing it to them. Remember that time back when you were five years old and you did this and you broke this and it was my favorite thing and my mom gave it to me and it was grandma's and we keep reminding our children of ways that they failed us or we remind our children of the ways that they have hurt us or worse yet, I've seen as our children get older, teen years or adult years, I've seen parents don't be this one. They've gone to social media and they're just kind of venting their frustration about their kids. Please pray for my son. Please pray for my daughter. They're doing this or they're doing this and they're venting on social media about their frustrations with their kids. That's not covering offense. It's the opposite. I mean, it's, it's a broad public expose. Hey, look at all the failures of my children. How does your child feel at that point? You put something like that on social media about your kids and then you wonder why they didn't come to your house? for Christmas this year and they keep going to the in-laws every year? It's because they feel hurt and offended by that. And so we've got to bear all things. We cover offenses in love, that we're not reminding them of their past failures. We allow our children to grow out of past offenses. Even if that child was a little older in your home when they did it, maybe they were 16, 17, 18. Those difficult years where they're transitioning to being an adult and they said and did some things to you that you still hold on to is there a point in time we've just got to allow that child to outgrow it and not to continue to hold it over their head as adult children coming home? Well, yeah, you better do that because remember that time you told me this? Our kids want nothing more than to be able to outgrow their past offenses. And you know, God does that with us, doesn't he? Aren't you glad God doesn't hold your past sins over your head? That he separates your sins from you as far as the east is from the west? Micah chapter 7, verse 19, Micah was prophesying to the wealthy, and might I add, very sinful northern kingdom of Israel. They were naughty. They were bad. And quite frankly, God had to remove them from their land and give them a spiritual spanking as, an, as a child of God and bring them out of their land. And they were sad and they're sorrowful that they're under this punishment of God. And then Micah speaks up after telling them, hey, by the way, you're here because of your own sin against God, but there's good news. And in Micah chapter 7, verse 19, he says, God will again have compassion on us. It's not going to be there forever. God isn't going to hold this over our head and say, remember that time? Oh, you want me? Oh, you're praying to me now. Remember that time and you did wrong? Yeah, try praying to me again. You know, God was willing to bring them back in. He will again have compassion on us. What will he do with their iniquities? He will tread them underfoot. It's so unimportant to God now, he's just walking past it, just leaving it behind him. Furthermore, he takes those sins, and where does he put it? In the depths of the sea, as we explained before. It means it's a place that you can never retrieve it up again. God's never going to reach back down and bring our sins back and make us face it over and over and over again. God says when we do that, that's not love. Love means we're al we allow people to outgrow their offenses toward us, especially with our children. And we put, take their sins, we take their offenses, and we throw it in the bottom of the sea, the same sea, by the way, where our sins reside. J, love believes all things. It means we assume the best of our kids, that we're not immediately cynical. You ever have a parent who gets that way? Maybe we're a little bit hurt with our kids, and we're like, oh, I'll bet you did that because you wanted to get back at me for the time that I said that. You know, oh, I'll bet you did this. Oh, I know why you were really out. You were out because of, and we start assuming the worst of our children. Our children, will they receive that as love when you just automatically assume the worst of them? Now, sometimes little kids do things and it looks like they sinned, and it's because they did. At that point, we lovingly confront them and we ask questions. Hey, here's what I see. What happened there? Explain it. And there may be consequences. There should be. 
But there are times that when we aren't able to get to the bottom of it right away, our default response to our children should be love and trust. That our children know that we're going to assume the best about them, and if there's a compelling reason to believe otherwise, you'll know because we're gonna have ourselves a conversation. But our kids need to know that we have a faith in them. That's what this means. It, you know, it believes all things, that we have a faith and a trust in them. If eventually, and I hope that I can convert you guys to watching Andy Griffith, if you've never done it, season three, episode one, opens up with an episode called Mr. McBeavy. Anybody remember that one? You know, Andy Griffith Watchers, Mr. McBeavy. And so what is, is Opie is doing like most kids did back then, and he was just playing by himself in the trees. You could do that back then. And Opie's out and wandering the, the trees, and pretty soon there's a, there's a fellow jangling up in the treetops, and he looks up there, and he's wearing this shiny silver hard hat, and his tools are jangling around his waist, and he comes down and says, hey, to Opie. And, and uh, you know, he makes smoke come out of his ears, does little tricks, you know, that adults like to do to, you know, trick kids and things, you know. And, uh, and so he does this, and he gives Opie a coin. He goes back to old Ange, okay, he goes back to Andy Griffith and shows him, hey, this is Mr. McBeavy, I got a new friend, he's Mr. McBeavy, and he's got a shiny head and smoke comes out of his ears and he jangles and he lives in the trees. Okay, so that sounds just really odd to the parent, and he's like, oh goodness, he's got an imaginary friend, and that was okay, and then he says, my imaginary friend gave me this, and as a parent, his first thought was, where'd you steal that from? He assumed the worst of him, he assumed Opie was lying, he assumed that Opie stole that coin, he says, you better give that back. So he goes back to Mr. McBeavy. My dad won't let me have this coin. Mr. McBeavy evidently thought this was a better idea. Gives him a hatchet. <laughs> I guess you could give kids hatchets back then too and they wouldn't chop down, you know, somebody or something. So he gives him a hatchet. Hey, look at this brand new shiny hatchet Mr. McBeavy gave me. He's like, I'm done hearing about your made up friend. It's about time you admit that Mr. McBeavy is fake and Opie wouldn't do it. And this just broke Opie's heart that his dad wouldn't trust him. Now, Opie was so little, he couldn't, explain very clearly who and what Mr. McBeavy was. But he gets home and his dad is about to give him a licking for continuing to habitually lie because Andy assumed the worst of him. And, but Andy got to the place where he looked into Opie's eyes and he's like, this boy from his heart is telling me the truth. I don't understand, but I'm gonna choose to believe the best of him. He comes down and Barney wouldn't have it. Are you kidding me? You really believe that there's a man with his shiny head and smoke comes out his ears? You know how Barney was. And Andy basically just told Barney, he's like, you know, when you're asked to believe something impossible, it's at that point it reveals whether or not you have faith in somebody. And as it turned out, Mr. McBeavy was a real thing. He's just out in the woods where Opie said he was, and sure enough, Mr. McBeavy comes on down from his ladder or whatever, and he's got the shiny hat, and Andy was so happy, you know, he could make smoke come out of his ears, and Andy's shaking his hand, and he went back and he apologized to Opie for assuming the worst about him. Which, by the way, that's a good, healthy thing for us as parents to do too, isn't it? You ever apologize to your kids? I hope so. Because unless you're a perfect parent, if you've never done anything wrong, you, you can ignore me for the next minute and a half. You don't need to apologize to your kids because you're flawless. And by the way, all the tithes and offerings, we give those to you this morning because clearly you are the son of God incarnate. All of us have wronged our kids. Now, this is another thing that my dad was really good at. Yeah, there are times my dad broke my heart, but he was very good about coming back later and telling me he was sorry and that he was wrong. And even as a kid, you protest, no, no, come on, dad, you know, it's okay. No, it's not okay, you know, and he'd always tell me that. And so he was good about that when we admitted wrong. Our children don't expect us to be perfect parents but they do expect us to be perfectible, that we're constantly working on this standard with God ourselves. We ask our kids to work on this standard, and they see, hey, you know what? God tells me to love you, and I didn't do that, and I blew it. Will you forgive me? It doesn't show weakness as a parent. It gives them a Christ-like example to follow, doesn't it? So love believes all things. It hopes all things. It means we expect that good will come about from them. We speak optimistically about them and their prospects in life. I know you're gonna give your best. I'm gonna be proud of you for the effort that you're gonna make. I know that you're gonna you know, work hard and do well at this. I mean, the opposite is to program them for failure. You're nobody, you'll never amount to anything. That, that doesn't do too well with children. Love hopes all things. It also endures all things. It means to remain under pressure. That at times as parents, we get into situations where our kids are gonna wear us out. Daddy, can I have that candy? Daddy, can I have, no. Can I have that candy? No. Can I have that candy? Daddy, can I have that candy? No. Take the candy. Take all the candy. Rot your teeth out. I hope you get sick and throw up. Take it. You know, and that we just kind of give up. We don't remain up under doing what we know to be doing as parents. 
And it gets even more serious later on when our kids get to be a little older and maybe they're a teenager and they slam the door and we don't bother going after them. We're just so happy they're out of our face because we're frustrated and offended too and we just let them have their space and we stay away from them the rest of the night. Or worse yet, we, we start a cold war and that cold war can last for weeks or months. I've talked to people who've had cold wars with their parents where they didn't speak to them for over two years. Love bears or endures all things. That we continue to parent well, even though it's hard. That my child offended me, and I'm hurt in my heart, but I'm still gonna pray for them. I'm still gonna go to them. They slam the door on me. I give it a couple minutes, and I pray, and I put down the kitchen knife, you know, and I pray, and then I go back, and I knock on that door, and I address the child. Do I want to talk to my child who just hurt me? No, we're human. Why do I do it then? It's because you're the mature adult. It's because we're loving in a way that Jesus loved, who while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. And so love endures all things. Many times when we feel like isolating ourselves from our children, it's at that point that we have to choose to behave in a mature way, and we gotta push in a little bit harder to get into the hearts of our children. Real quick here, I'm just gonna give you a rapid fire thing as, we, as we're bringing this to a close. Kids need to Three senses, three of the five anyway. Taste and smell, they're out, okay? But they need to hear love, they need to feel love, and they need to see love. They need to hear love. Our kids need to hear that we love them. Do you need to vocalize that and communicate that? We sure do. I mean, did God communicate his love for us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son? Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will again have compassion on you. The whole Bible is a love letter of God to us. God communicates his love. Our children need to hear it, not just to take it by faith, but to hear it. Our kids need to feel love. They need the warmth and tenderness of a parent. They need, to, they need to be kissed on the head. They need to get a hug. They need you to snuggle them on the couch while you're watching The Grinch Who Stole Christmas this year. They need that affection because warmth and tenderness is, is communicated through that touch. And the, the, the more that that's there, the, the closer we are to that person. I dare say you probably, when you checked out at the food fair with your groceries this week, or Kroger, you didn't reach over and grab the hand of the person who is your cashier. They'd be a little bit nervous. It shows too much warmth and too much acceptance, too much familiarity, but when we do that with our children, we hold their hand when we're walking, or we put our arm around them, we sit next to them and we snuggle them on the couch. It shows a deep level of acceptance, the kind of acceptance that Jesus showed children. Remember in uh, Mark chapter 10, they're bringing children to him and Jesus says, don't forbid it, such is the kingdom of God. And at the end it says, he took them in his arms. He was physical with these children in a sweet and tender and innocent way. He took them in his arms, it says, and he blessed them. He spoke words of, of valuation to these children and love to them and laid hands on them. That's how Jesus loved. He loved with skin on it. And so our kids need to feel that love. And then furthermore, our kids need to see love. They need to see it modeled in the home. The most important love relationship in your child's life, especially young children, is that of mom to dad. This is why, by the way, we started with marriage and then went to parenting. Kids need to see that the mom and dad relationship is healthy. The marriage is the nest of the home. If the marriage isn't healthy, our kids are gonna grow up frustrated and angry and rebellious and they won't even quite know why. But you back it up a little bit and see, have we been conflicting in front of our children? I don't mean discussing disagreements. That can actually be constructive to allow your children to see you calmly and lovingly work out disagreements. I'm talking about when you get angry and you feel the temperature rising and your, your voice begins to elevate and you get kind of that irritated sound you know, to your voice and we start getting mad and we're conflicting in front of our kids and we start getting historical. Oh yeah, well you did this and you're, you're just like your mother. You know, We start saying things that are hurtful to the kid. And the kid sees the two most important people in his life conflicting in this way. And there's nothing that will unsettle a child's nest faster than watching mom and dad just fight and duke it out in front of them. You feel the temperature rising. You need to you know, invite little Junior to play outside or something, but we don't conflict like that in front of our children. Discuss, that's one thing, but to just conflict and be angry. And so if we see that our children are just hostile and they're just always angry and they're doing naughty things, they're getting in trouble at school, it might just be that Junior's a naughty kid, 
But I think it's always healthy as a parent to look and say, are we conflicting in front of our kids? Have we taken the stability of that child's nest and just kicked their nest to pieces with our continual conflicting in front of them? A child needs peace and predictability. They need to be able to go to bed and enjoy a silent night. They need to be able to see that mom and dad love them, they tuck them in, that mom and dad care about each other, and they're not stupid. They know mom and dad don't always get along, but they know that when you work things out, you do it in a way that still preserves the love between the two of you. And when a child grows up in that environment of acceptance, they hear love, they see love, and they feel love. It's more likely that child's gonna grow up in a healthy way and maybe return that love to you again someday. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that we have had an opportunity just to study what love looks like when we are demonstrating it to our children. And Father, many of us did not grow up necessarily with having an ideal home situation. Some of us had fantastic parents. Some of us have no idea what love looks like because it's never been communicated. Maybe they've never had a loving touch by a parent. An arm around the shoulder, or a kiss on the head, or a hug. God, help us to break that chain. Help us to choose to just parent by the book, to look at how Jesus loved children and to choose to love our kids in a way that may be foreign to us, very different, but in a way that we know is needful to add some feathers to that nest of ours so that maybe our children will be a little less angry, a little less irritable, a little less disobedient because they're living in a thriving environment of love. Help us to show that love to one another, to show that love to our children as they grow up and mature, ideally to grow up to be small versions of Jesus themselves. We ask all this in Christ's name. From all of us here at Unity, we would like to thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to know how to surrender your life to Christ, click on the link in the show notes and we would love the opportunity to help you in your next steps. If you've enjoyed today's talk, Remember to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. As promised, if you would like more information about Unity, you can connect with us at unitybaptistashland.com or on Facebook at UBC Ashland.